It's Thursday. Today is Thursday. I've brought you the greatest gift of all. Oh, yeah? Well, in that case... Entertain me! It's showtime. Make use of the help that God puts around you. We are not a glum lot. A promise is a promise. It's very simple. Just don't drink and go to meetings. Give time, time. Easy does it. I do it. Want to have self-esteem? Just do esteemable things. One day at a time. We carry the message, not the alcoholic. Don't quit before the miracle happens. With the defective characters, three guys sitting around talking about our personal experience in recovery. Hey, I'm Mike. I'm Dennis. James here. The opinions are our own. We don't represent any particular organization, institution, or fellowship today. Brian will be sharing his experience, strength, and hope with us in this episode eight of the Defective Characters podcast. Let's go. All right, Brian, thank you so much for sharing your story with us. I know James is going to introduce you here. Oh, thanks, Mike, for getting us started as always. Brian's been my sponsor for, for a little over two years, and um, he, um, he's he been instrumental in um, helping me to um, uh, learn how to quiet my mind. And um, he's been uh, a great influencer to me on uh, how to just, uh, you know, not let everything bother me. He, um, he's been helping me to, um, right off the bat, he helped me to learn how to meditate and he gave me very good instructions on how to do that. Um, not only that, but he has gone through the steps with me and he did, um, he sat for almost nine hours while I did a fifth step with him. So, uh, he's, uh, he's definitely lent me a lot of his time and, um, I don't think I've ever made him too angry because he's still with me. <laughs> so I'd like to introduce Brian. Uh, thanks again for giving us your time once again today. Love you, man. Hey, thanks, guys. Love you too, dude. So I'm um, Brian. I'm an alcoholic. My sobriety date is January 1st of 08. Um, my home group is in Celebration, Florida at the Celebrate the Morning meeting. At least I think that's what it's called. And so, yep. yeah, you know, I've had a couple different home groups. This one works really well just because I'm, I'm close. And um, so, yeah, I'm a January 1st, New Year's Day baby. Um, and shoot, it was a long time coming this last time. I, this isn't my first time trying to get sober. And, jeez, uh, you know, I don't even know where to start. If we only have 30 minutes, you know, I could probably talk for hours and hours about so many different topics about AA and, and sobriety and gratitude and surrender and, and things that have worked and things that haven't worked. And, uh, you know, so, you know, my first time getting sober was a, somewhere around 17, between like right around that 17, 18 birthday, 18 year old birthday. And um, I'm originally from Long Island, New York, and they, they practice a very hardcore version of AA up there. And um, sometimes I think I'm obligated to carry their version of the message for at least a few minutes because I'm sure they're up there still doing it. Um, it's not something that's heavily practiced down here, but uh, I had a bunch of weird stuff that was coming out of my mouth at, at 18, then 19, then 20, and 21. I tried it again. And, um, you know, they, they very aggressively invited me to leave the meeting on multiple occasions where they, they would tell me, Brian, if you don't want to be here, 
We will give you the money out of the basket. We will buy you your first drink. The door's right there. Why don't you get the hell out of here? And um, I don't see anybody really doing that. I don't do that either, but I have to say that it made a really, really strong impression, and I never forgot that. And because I, they're 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 carrying that me- that part of the message that's in the book where it talks about how like, you know, if you can if you think you can drink non-alcoholic, our our hats are off to you. Where it, it's almost inviting you to be really really sure that you're an alcoholic because if you have any slight reservation, it's almost like you're gonna eventually talk yourself into a drink again. And I ended up doing that at that uh, later on from there. You know, I had this sponsor years ago that, you know, I was thinking about him this morning who, you know, I, I want to say very irresponsibly did not do the steps with his, his, his sponsees. And um, he was sober for 20 plus years at the time when I met him. And uh, I think he died with 30 plus years of sobriety. And, you know, his, his thing was just like, you know, Brian, I just don't do the steps with people. And I said, okay, well, this sounds great because I don't really want to do them anyway. And so this was like a match made in heaven for a while. And I stayed sober with him as my sponsor for maybe three years or so, a little over three years. And, um, you know, as the thing was like how this turns into being a real, a real trap is that, you know, I wasn't drinking. I, I, was, I was working, so I had money. I was feeling good. I was looking good. It was in my early 20s. And like... I, I stopped creating hell in other people's lives and in my own life. And so it, from the outside, it looked like I was getting better, but the truth was I really didn't have a foundation. And because I didn't have a foundation, as soon as I started to romance the drink and the drug again, I didn't have a strong, you know, baseline that I could rely on that I could return to. So that when things got challenging again, that I, I would always, you know, they, I had heard these guys say, you know, the wider the base, the higher the freedom. And when, when I didn't have that to rely on, I, I stayed away from meetings for three weeks, three and a half weeks, and I drank again, you know, was using drugs again, like it was nothing. And that was a pretty scary moment, you know, it's like there's been, there's been numerous times in my life where I have had it dramatically reinforced to me that I am an alcoholic, I am always going to be an alcoholic, and that I am never, ever going to be able to drink with any degree of safety or responsibility ever, ever again. And this is never going to change. Um, and that time when I drank after those couple of years of sobriety was one of those moments, you know, and, um, you know, as time had gone on, I, it's the drinking, you know, I had to lay off the drugs. So I really just couldn't handle them anymore, but the drinking really hit another gear because it's just, it's easily accessible. And, you know, for so many other reasons, you know, and then, uh, you know, I, I, I kept having this, 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 this thought that kept coming back again and again, which was the party is going to have to stop at some point and that I am never going to be able to live a full life if I don't stop drinking, you know? And that's a really hard thing to, to have to have to face when I didn't, like I had remember people that were getting sober and that the, there was a miracle happening in AA, but it was so far from, from where I was that I just couldn't imagine how that was going to even be, be possible, you know? And, uh, you know, I was so drinker, alcohol reliant where I was just like, I was a daily drinker. I drank like probably three, probably 360 days a year, you know? And, uh, I was the type where I would, my eyes would open in the morning wherever I was. And the first thing I would think to myself is, is usually like, I got to pee real bad, but it was like, 
what's going to have to happen? What do I got to do? What do I got to get out of the way until I can start drinking and drugging again? You know, and it was like this, this tunnel vision of like this hypnotic tunnel vision where I couldn't see and didn't care about anything else, you know? And so like, I would, I would, I would get to drink and to drug in me and, and, and then all responsibilities would fall away. And I just didn't care about anybody or anything. It was, it's the weirdest thing, you know? Addiction is weird like this, especially with alcoholics and probably all the other addictions also that like, you know, I, I can't give a rational person a rational explanation for what this experience is like or why I had made all those decisions that I did. The bit is that I make a little bit of a joke where I, like I would tell a person who's not an alcoholic, I would say, hey, you, have you ever done this? Have you ever gotten one of those really, really big bags of M&Ms and then eat the entire bag of M&Ms at one sitting and then throw up all of the M&Ms and then go to a store and buy another big M bag of M&Ms and start eating those again. And they look at me strangely and say, no, like, oh, okay. Well, it's sort of like if you were to do that, but with alcohol. And they're like, they, they, and I'm thinking to them, I have to say to them now, like, so you see how that, like, that's just totally crazy. Like that doesn't make any sense, right? At all. You know, and they say, well, no, it doesn't. We're like, well, that's the kind of the point of this. This is like an insanity and it's not to be understood. It's not meant to be understood by you guys. It's like, if you don't have this, then this, none of this is going to make any sense. But if you're an alcoholic and I give you that exact scenario, you know exactly what I'm talking about because you may have done this kind of behavior. And if it wasn't with alcohol, it was with something else. And maybe this is a little bit of an extreme one, but you have your own version of that insanity in your own way that this makes sense and this computes in some way. You know, but I, I have to do some like irrational kind of, you know, example or else it, it, it doesn't. And even when I make it, though, it still doesn't work. But it's still you know, I've been trying for years to explain this in, in a way where it can be understood. But I, I, I understand better and better every day that that's not going to really be possible. You know, I do it as a goof, but I don't sit the family down and say, look, you re I really want you to understand this, you know. So. You know, as, you know, life continued to be, you know, a living hell over and over and over again. Um, I had the most strange and unexplainable cosmic experience about how I ended up back in an AA meeting. Uh, at least it seemed that way to me because I felt like I didn't have any business being there, even though I was a full-blown bottoming out alcoholic. I was at an AA, I was, an, I was, I was bringing my sister to an Al-Anon meeting. And um, so, because I was trying, me and my family were trying to talk her out of not marrying a guy who, who was a drunk and she was in a long-term relationship with. And I was trying to let her know that no, if she were to go through with this, there are going to be some serious life penalties because alcoholics are really bad and we don't do well long-term usually. So um, the Al-Anon meeting was a real bore. And so we ended up, I said, this isn't going to work. These guys... There was nothing exciting going on in the Al-Anon meeting. I said, we need to go to a real AA meeting. So you can hear some crazy stories about what alcoholics are really like, and then you'll be convinced. And uh, as I was sober years ago for that three years, my, you know, my family, we used to go to Disney all the time. So I had been to that three o'clock meeting they had on Disney property at the Doubletree Hotel at that time. And they uh, were still there. That lady, Carolyn, we all know in the morning, she was there. Uh, and I... She was there years ago. And so when I walked in this, this last time, I go in with my sister and um, a guy, Bill, that I know real well is, was there. Um, that guy, Pete, you guys know from the, from the pool house, he was there that day. 
and some other folks that have come and gone. And so I guess Stacy was there too. I don't remember her. She remembered me from that day. So I'm sitting there with my sister and it becomes very evident to me right when the, the meeting started that I was not there to show my sister how messed up alcoholics were. I was there because I needed to be there and this was a long time coming. And that was on like something like December 28th, 27th of 07. And I said, okay, I got a big stockpile of wine and I'm going to go home and drink it because I'll be damned if I'm going to let all that good wine go to waste. And I did. I had a party in my house on New Year's Eve. And for whatever reason, December or January 1st came around and I, and I didn't drink. And I stayed on that couch all day long. And I don't know if it was because it was just January 1st or whatever, but January 2nd, I was starting a new job. And I, I went to the three o'clock meeting, then I went to my job and I did that repeatedly. I went to the three o'clock meeting and then would go to work right after I was working in restaurants. And I mean, that was it. It was like a perfect fit, you know, perfect scheduling fit. And, um, you know, I, I started meditating and doing yoga in the morning. And um, slowly the fog started to lift, you know. Bunch of store, a bunch of other things happened that we don't have time for. And then the big moment came where I had asked this guy to be my sponsor. He's kicking this good AA stuff in a meeting somewhere. And I was like, this guy's got it going on. And so I asked him to be my sponsor. And he reluctantly said yes. He rolled his eyes. I was oh, my God. Okay, okay, okay. Look, call me every day. If I don't answer, just leave a message on the answering machine. I said, and he said, and then, and then I'll call you back. I said, okay, good enough. So I did that. For three weeks, this guy didn't answer the phone. And because I started to feel better. He said, yes, I got that feeling of relief. Like, okay, good. Help is on its way. I'm going to get better soon. And I started to feel okay, you know. And when he didn't answer the phone, I wasn't getting the recovery that I needed. And I had to go. I had to now go ask another guy to be my sponsor because I, I wasn't getting recovered. You know, nothing was changing. And so we're probably about three, I was about three months in at that point or two or three months in or whatever it was. And then um, I asked that guy, Kevin, to be my sponsor. Uh, and this is the guy that, that you guys will meet on the retreat. If you go, um, James, he's going to drive with us in my car that day when we drive out there. And he's going to be the speaker there that week, uh, that weekend. And uh kevin was a saint kevin was a saint man i i uh i gave this guy more headaches than he ever wanted and and i was not his only sponsee i was not his home i was not his only new in sobriety sponsee thank god he didn't have like a, a 40 hour week job where he was dealing with me and all of us other maniacs that uh that he took on at that time and uh kevin would would listen to me bitch and complain until he would just not wasn't going to at times you know I remember a lot of times, a lot of our conversation. I remember one time um, uh, we were talking, we were arguing about who knows what. And, uh, and then he hung up the phone. And then I, I called him right back. I said, hey, hey, man, I, I think we got disconnected. He goes, no, Brian, I hung up on you. And then hung up on me again, I think, or something again, <laughs> you know. Just what well, he just like couldn't take it anymore, you know. And there were a lot of other moments where, you know, he would either yell at me or it very clearly would tell me, uh, 
exactly what I needed to hear or just didn't want to hear. And, you know, the problem was, is the way I had viewed the world at that point, he understood very clearly that I was still an insane person and that, uh, that my, my point of view did not fit this world very well. And, um, so he understood that he was going to have to break, help me break that. And, uh, sometimes that didn't feel very good at all. It really, really hurt for a while. But, um, you know, he was, he was kind when I was cool, when I was a pain in the ass, he was aggressive at the time, you know? And so like over a long enough timeline, we had gotten through the steps, you know, through whatever period, whatever length of time this took. And, and luckily things started happening really quickly. Um, sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly. For me, this was pretty quickly, I think, you know, because by, by a year sober, a lot of really good things started happening, you know. Um, all of a sudden, the wife told me she loved me again. And then, you know, we started talking about having kids. And, um, you know, I, th there was still, you know, a pretty disagreeable side to me also. Um, but a lot of, like, things were starting to take place, you know, like this like the serenity was coming through at a much more frequent pace. Um, and then I started to like really feel okay about everything being okay. You know, cause this was a real adjustment period at this point, you know, like, um, so man, a lot of things started to accelerate at this point, you know, the steps really, the steps really, really transformed the way I viewed the world the way I interacted with people, um, the way I made decisions, the way I view myself, um, just did on and on. I can go on for hours about how, you know, how, how incredible the, the spiritual transformation is. You know, in, in a big way, I feel really obligated to be able to carry the message um, and to be able to, you know, stick my hand out and talk to people who are new in the program, who are younger than me, who are older than me, you know, if you guys see me in the morning meetings enough, you know that I will walk up to almost anybody after the meeting and either give them some handful of shit or just like totally pat them on the back or I just ask them for a hug or whatever I think is appropriate at that point. You know, I've walked over to many of our group members at, that have like 30 years of sobriety and just walk over and be like, dude, do me a favor, man. Just share more in the meeting because they need to hear you and I need to hear you, okay? And I would just like, we'll walk away from some of them at sometimes, you know, like that. Just give them this little earful of something some you know just because i'm the type that likes to push and likes to just like give poke somebody and you know and at times i get it too you know because i'm i love the name of the podcast what, what is it again defective characters podcast perfect man like this you know when i heard the name of the podcast i was thinking to myself that i'm like fundamentally totally a flawed individual you know but you know, I feel like I'm obligated to try to get better. And I think that once we get sober, that it, it's something that we need to focus on. It, it's not just about putting down the drink. It's about trying, you know, like the, the, you know, good is the enemy of the great. Like, you know, I had always felt for so many years that there was, there was so many things that I was going to be able to do or wanted to do in this world. But I just, I couldn't shake this monkey off of my back, you know? And now that, you know, at least just for today, as you know, as I consider myself a recovered alcoholic, you know, I'm obligated to to push forward on a, a numerous amount of things, 
Now, sometimes that can be, you know, an aggressive goal or, you know, it's just it, sometimes I bite off more than I can chew or try to accomplish more than I'm capable of. But I would rather try than not even bother trying at all than not even dreaming, you know. And sometimes it could be in the easiest, simplest way, being loving to a stranger, being loving to somebody who doesn't deserve it, which is no, no small feat. Don't get me wrong, you know, or like pushing myself forward in, in a career in certain directions, being more creative at certain times, you know, like some of the most easiest ways is just sort of like, how can I be more of service to my, my wife and kids today? I say a lot of prayers in the morning and I try to set myself up for success with these things. One of the ones I say is, um, you know, help me be of maximum service to the people I work with, work for and work around my kids and my family. You know, and I pray for, you know, let me help me seek the opportunity to be of service to these people. And when that moment comes, when I, when that moment comes where I'm ready to be of service, let me remember that I am totally capable of, of fulfilling this, of this opportunity of fulfilling this challenge, letting me know that I'm, you know, I can do anything I want to do when that moment comes, you know, that I'm, that I'm abundant enough in that moment to, to help them, you know, and it can come in, you know, more ways than one. And what I do is I take that prayer, I say the prayer and I let it go. I walk the path and I just sort of see what comes, you know, I don't have to control. I don't have to like the way that those things come. There are many times that I don't like the, the way that that comes, but this is just this endless practice of, you know, me just walking the path and accepting what the scenery is and accepting what the road looks like, you know? And, you know, there's, like I said, I'm a seriously flawed individual. And there are many times when things come along my way and I'm like a spoiled brat where I just say to myself, you know, I don't like what that is. I am not willing to take no for an answer. And I will sit in that pain for as long as I need to until, you know, I'm willing to let it go. You know, these guys had this, this phrase years ago up north that, that I had heard. They would say, let go or get dragged. And, you know, I will consciously drag myself sometimes. Sometimes it'll happen and then I'll just let it go very quickly. And I'll say, ah, you see, not that big a deal. And this is the challenge. This is the challenge of the discipline at times, you know. But, um, you know, I don't know. I think that at the end of the day, I was just really lucky that when I, when I came in this last time around, there were a lot of really, really good elder statesmen around me that carried a very high quality message. Um, you know, luckily I was at that three o'clock meeting and we had a lot of visitors that would come in from out of town. A lot of old timers would, 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 who had lived up north would retire and move here with 25, 20, 25, 30 years of sobriety. Now they move down here and, you know, some of them carry a really, really good message with them. And, um, you know, that group at the beginning sort of like, you know, wrapped their arms around me. I was like their little brother at that meeting. And, you know, I really looked up to these guys. Like these guys were my heroes and stuff, you know. And they said a lot of very nice, loving things where, you know, one of the voices I had, one of the loud voices I had in my head at the beginning was that, like, you know, like after how am I ever going to be better again after all of this bad stuff had happened after I had done all of this bad stuff, you know, and I was really hard on myself and they were just like, dude, you've been through enough. Give yourself a break for God's sake. You know, maybe they were just listening they're sick of listening to me complain, but, uh, it's possible too. But, um, 
you know, there were a couple of really strong voices there at that three o'clock meeting that were there frequently. I, I always knew when they were coming, you know, like Joe and Jerry would come on Mondays and Wednesdays. The guy who's my sponsor would come on Tuesdays and Fridays. Uh, there was a guy that would come on Wednesdays too. And then they would just pop in randomly, you know, because it was right centrally located. And uh, I, you know, I love all those people dearly. Sometimes I'm sitting there in the morning and I'm just looking around and I'm like six, seven to six, eight people there that, that were there that saw me at my very beginning, you know, and I get this very cozy feeling when I'm around those folks, you know, cause it keeps it really green for me. And uh, yeah, I, I really, I really like that. I, I rely on these relationships in my life, you know, because, um, you know, it's just important for me to understand, you know, you know, not just how far I've come, but where I've come from. Remember that this is a daily thing. You know, all I'm trying to do is get to midnight tonight. And if I can get to midnight without drinking tomorrow, I can, you know, I can meet life's challenges, you know, a, a sober, hopefully sane person. I've changed my morning routine numerous times through the years, but I've never gone without a morning routine there. You know, I'll do a morning meditation 363 days a year. I'll, I'll miss one or two here or there for whatever random reason. And so I, I get up in the morning before everybody in the household and I, I isolate myself from everybody. So I can have this alone time. I got little kids so I, without the kids bugging me or anything else. And so I'll begin by focusing on my breathing. I'll do some deep breathing exercises. I'll do a little bit of this Qigong stuff where I inhale and I'm moving my body and I can sense, you know, the energy in my body changing. I can get to, I'm looking for certain benchmarks through that process. Then I'll do some yoga. I'll do some stretching. Uh, I'll do some like push-ups. I'll do some, you know, a little bit of muscle, muscle work, nothing too crazy. Um, and then I do some more stretching and then I do some prayer and then I do meditation. Sometimes I do meditations and then I do the prayer after and, you know, it's sort of however it goes. And I have to say that through the years, this has been my greatest ally, this morning meditation routine. And it gives me that, that, that little space between my thoughts and my action or my thoughts and, and what comes out of my mouth. And it gives me some pause and so much more access to my creative side, access to myself. Um, and it, it's in a way, like as I'm going through the day, I can, I can sort of like return to this place um, just sometimes with, you know, the most random totem. If I just like leave the little breadcrumbs around for myself that I can say, oh, don't forget, don't forget where we're trying to go today. Or they're like, don't forget, man, you're, you know, that I'm, I'm a spiritual person having a human experience and, you know, it's okay to fail and it's okay to succeed. And, you know, I should expect to be able to do both, you know? Um, after that, I, I get up and I read out of the uh, 24 hour or the, the daily reflections book, read that every day. I read something out of an Al-Anon book. Also, I've been, I added that in this year. Uh, and then I write down a self-appreciation list and then I write a gratitude list. And then I do some other thing where I, I forget to do this, but I add it in every once in a while. I think about the things in this world that are my favorite. It helps me vibrate on a higher frequency. We'll talk about that another day if you guys want. From here, you know, I'm going to try to make sure I get to a meeting. You know, I don't go seven days a week, but I go on the weekdays. Weekends, you know, I spend time with the family. It's harder to get away. Sometimes I can, sometimes I can't. Um, but 
even some, there are sometimes when the five out of the seven days are enough. And there's sometimes when that's not enough. And I really should be at, you know, seven meetings a week or like a meeting a day. You know, like I'm, like I said, I was a daily drinker. I drank every day. I was told I was supposed to go to meetings every day, you know? So from here, uh, it's not just about showing up to the meeting and sitting there. I have to interact. I have to engage with the people that are there. I have to connect with at least one person at that meeting. And I have to have an eyeball to eyeball exchange where I get that feeling that you get me and I get you. And, and, and we're having the same experience on that universal way. I have to be able to connect in to the energy that is happening at that place. So, and I do this in multiple ways. Sometimes it's just talking to somebody after the meeting. Sometimes it's talking to somebody that I don't know. And it, a lot of times it's sharing my experience, strength and hope at the meeting because I don't have a lot of time to do a whole lot of service work. And, you know, I was told that sharing at the meeting is an expression of service. So to me, I'm, you know, they, these, these old timers told me years ago, you go to a meeting, you're supposed to share at every meeting. And they used to force us to share at the meetings. You know, it's another story from another time. But, um, so, okay. So, so let's say, you know, you are a person that is listening to this for the first time and you think maybe you're an alcoholic, maybe you're not, or maybe you've been drinking a whole, you know, you've been drinking a lot and shoot, I don't know. Trust your intuition. If you think you're an alcoholic, you're probably an alcoholic. You know, if you go to enough meetings you'll hear this kind of experience where a person tells you that they had this experience where they were just driving home, trying to be a good guy. And then the car mysteriously would just start driving itself into the parking lot and you'd find yourself a couple of drinks in and you go asking yourself, I had this experience numerous times, what the hell has just happened? Because this wasn't the plan. I wasn't supposed to drink today. I didn't want to drink today, but here I am doing it anyway. And I'm, I'm literally drinking without my own permission and kind of come to and go, man, what is going on? Because this isn't the way I, what I set out to do. That's one expression of what that is. You know, there's a hundred, there's a million other expressions as of how alcohol, the alcoholic personality manifests itself. And if you think you got this thing, you probably do. Sometimes I tell people that if I meet them after the meeting, I say, listen, man, you know, you got up early on purpose. You, had, you took a shower early to get here on time. Like, because you probably know you need to be here, right? Like this is, not a mystery anymore. You know, you may not want to admit it right now, but you know, the literature talks about how we had to admit to our innermost selves that we were definitely an alcoholic. I forget how the end of it, how it ends right there, but admitting it to our innermost selves is like one of the first steps. Whether you want to come in and get into it immediately, you know, I mean, it's just however long you want to postpone this, this pain for, you know, or postpone your, your, your recovery for it. Because when you walk into an AA meeting, you're going to see a bunch of people that are recovered alcoholics. And they all showed up the same way all of us did. And you can have the same recovery that all of us have. You know, you never have to ever feel like this again. Uh, but it starts with, you know, being honest about who you are, what you've done, taking ownership of it, you know, being willing to take somebody else's point of view, take somebody else's opinion, uh, you know, and being willing to just walk the path and just, and just try something that you've never tried before, you know, um, and this is, you know, that remember, that doesn't all have to happen on day one. It's nobody walks into these rooms being able to do all these things on the first day. You know, my sponsor would tell me about this pebble theory about how, like, you know, I would do 
I would do one good thing and then I would put that pebble underneath my foot and then I would do another good thing and put another pebble underneath my foot. And next thing you know, I'm standing on a little hill. Next thing you know, I'm standing on a mountain of things that I can hang my hat on and say, you know something, I am actually not a piece of shit. You know, I am actually a good guy and I'm capable of being loving and patient and understanding with other people and you know, just allowing love to come through me for other people, man. You know, it's like, it's a big step being willing to actually love another person and then being willing, you know, to let them love you, you know? And then the great thing about AA meetings is we come in here and, you know, most of us are, are, are willing to be vulnerable enough to let the rest of the room see us for what we really are, you know? And one of the things I really, I really cherished about those elder statesmen, man, I was sitting there at that three o'clock meeting, pretty, pretty, really, really bad shape, you know? And I was listening to some people tell, some really honest stories that at that time, I don't think that I really had the power to would have had the power to share. But, you know, as time had gone on, I was like, you know, man, you know, if this guy's willing to say this, then maybe I'll be willing to say this next thing or whatever. And, you know, I would, I would, I would bear a little bit of my soul and, you know, recognize that nothing had happened. It wasn't like I didn't get any penalty just because I disclosed something to some people. I would say something that I would think is crazy and they would sit there, they would nod their head like, yeah, man, I did that kind of thing. Yeah. Oh, not that big a deal. You know? Oh, okay. Okay. Maybe I do fit in here, you know, but only way to try is to, you know, really, really, you have to really want this to stop, man. You know, I had, I got to that point where I really just couldn't take the pain anymore. You know, I just wanted the pain to stop. However, that was going to happen, you know? So, like I said, I can ramble on for more and more hours here, but, um, you know, I'm, I'm super grateful to this AA program, man. These guys, you know, saved my life, helped me save my life, however you want to phrase it, you know. Um, and I'm, I feel like it's super, like a deep, deep debt to AA that I feel like I'll never repay, you know. Anyway, guys. Okay. Thank thanks you. Share, Thank you, Brian. Thanks, Brian. Um, uh, yeah, thanks, yeah. For, thanks for taking some time out of uh, your day in the, the service work. It's Mike Grateful Alcoholic. Um, I, I want to say, and I... I don't know. I don't know if I ever shared with you um, how the the program is amazing, how it puts people together. Because before I moved down to the uh, celebration area in the Orlando area, um, I would vacation at Disney. And the first year and a half into sobriety, I was living in Burlington, Vermont, and we would vacation. I probably did four vacations to disney because my in-laws are part of the disney vacation club and before i got sober i didn't appreciate anything that i had and then when i did the year and a half before i moved down to orlando i would go to the celebrate the morning meeting and i would hear you share and you talk about how you know the the guys that you first came into the rooms with told you you know what make sure you share because you don't know what you say might actually help somebody else out and it helped me out to the point where my current sponsor at the time, when he found out I was moving to Orlando, the first thing he said was, I can't sponsor you anymore. Get a sponsor there. You can keep in contact with right. me, but find somebody. And I didn't remember your name, but I knew your message to the point where I knew that even if it was just on a temporary basis, I was going to ask you to be my temporary sponsor. And the... I think it was the first meeting when I moved to town, I asked you, and then we started working together. And I do sure. think that there is a lot of value. I know with your story, you got a second sponsor, but my first sponsor said, 
hey, call me every day. And if I don't pick up, leave a voicemail. And he was doing the same yeah. thing that that first sponsor that you, you shared with. He would never call me back. And I would be pissed. Right. And he said, well, did you drink? And I said, no, I, di- I didn't drink. But, like, I really want to get moving on this. And he said, I'm glad you yeah. didn't drink. And he, he kind of changed up. And I know the guy in, in your story, he didn't want to change anything. He wasn't going to change. But my first sponsor was going through stuff that he didn't share with me because I was a newbie. And it made him realize maybe I got to plug more into the program. You know, but I'm fortunate that he, you know, he said those words of, well, did you drink? Like, no. You didn't because you took time. You you left a two minute voicemail that, you know, he he did listen to all the voicemails, but he wouldn't call me back and it would really right. irk the hell out of me. Um, yeah, I never yeah. even knew if the guy did. I, he never he just never called back. And I said, Dude, right. this isn't working. This isn't going to work for me. I, I can't for, do this for sure. Like this. And I was I was uh, I was to the <laughs> point where I was so helpless that and I did have friends. Uh, that were in the program that I worked with that actually took me to my first meeting. So I was able to like chat with them. Um, but, you know, mm-hmm. since they were female, it's not like I was going to, you know, I also in the Burlington area, it's men with men, women with women. So I wasn't going to, you right. know, some people have a different variation of how they do it and they don't think that that's anything. Yeah, yeah I was told and, the same thing. You know, yeah, but it, and when you when you spoke on what I can definitely identify with the, uh, the, you know, the phrase like, hey, you know, if you don't think this is you, we'll take money out of the basket. You can buy your buy your first drink. The very first guy, right. the very first meeting that I met was this guy that sat. He, I guess he was the greeter, but he had a scowl on his face all the time. His name was Cowboy Larry, and Cowboy Larry was a Bible. Th- mm-hmm. It was a uh, big book thumper, and all he would do was just quote right. the big book over and over. And he said that, and mm-hmm. there was a time when it it was uh, in Burlington, Vermont. If you ever visit there, they have the brown bag, mm-hmm. brown bag meeting. They'll tell you, yeah, hey, if you don't like what we have to say, here's money to go get a drink, get out of here, and they'll do that. Right, right. And usually, a couple times a month, people would take them up on it, you know, and then they would ah, head. No up, kidding, I've never seen anybody take them up on it because it was right on the bus route. So then they would take enough money to get on the yeah, bus too okay. to go to the liquor store <laughs> and they would be out. And it's just in like in, in cel- celebration, I haven't been to a meeting where they're that hard, you know, like we're softer, <laughs> but up North, you know, I, I wanted to take them up on it <laughs> numerous times, but I'm sitting in this thing in Elmont sort of like in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, yeah. You can imagine what that would be like in a Long Island suburb. And I was like, oh, man, the, the only problem is I need to ride out of here from one of these guys. And I, I can't walk this far to go. It was, it was like big, this big mistake. You know, it was like, uh, what should I leave? Should I take the maybe I should take a cab? But it was like, oh, yeah, by the time I'm done deliberating, the meeting's yeah, over. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm just I'm really uh, I'm forever uh, fortunate and uh, really I'm grateful. I always say I'm a grateful alcoholic because I have to remind myself to be grateful. And that's what I need to strive mm-hmm. to be. Uh, is grateful. And uh, one of the biggest things that uh, you've taught me over the, I guess, uh, what, three plus years of, uh, you know, you, you being in my life is to unconditionally love other people and also make sure you love yourself. Because there was just, you know, 
the, that first year and a half till I met you when we started working together, there was still so much self-hate that I had that I'm glad that I can, uh, you know, really stop thinking about myself, you know, and love myself. So that way I can move on and try to help people through it because. Right. I tell my kids that every morning when I wake them up, and I say, you know, I rub their little backs and they're getting up. I say, remember, kiddo, all we got to do is love each other and love ourselves. Yeah. I, I, I try to make it as easy and approachable as possible. That's all we got to do. Mm-hmm. It's not that hard. Just love each other and love mm-hmm. ourselves. You know, they just slept in my, my dad's house last night. And, you know, I got, I picked them up at, from church. We all go to church together. And he's like, yeah, they were great. He's like, you always have good kids, man. They always behave themselves. And I was like, oh, thank God. You know, I don't want them to harass my dad. But I, I don't know if it's because I tell them that. I don't know if it's because me and the mom or however it works. But I'm the luckiest guy you know, man. And, Mike, you have so much to be grateful for. In this yeah, well, too, and you know? absolutely. And, and on the, uh, you know, the the kid front, you were the you were the first person that, I told I I called up like my parents. I called after when I found out that my wife and I mm-hmm. were having a kid a couple of years ago, and I said I got to mm-hmm. give Brian a call because I I, I had had an opportunity to uh, you know listen in when we had conversations on. It. So I I just I don't want to I don't want to go on right, and on. Right. I know I can, but I I really appreciate it, and I know that that Dennis and James want to identify with you too uh, on that, yeah, Dennis. Sure, sure. Uh, yeah, hey, um. Thanks again, Brian. Uh, I know you're a busy guy, so I really appreciate you taking the time. Dude, no problem. Um, I'm missing all this football right <laughs> now. Dennis, you know, <laughs> probably for the best. But, uh, this is good. Um, I think one thing that really stood out for me is when you talked about when you went to your first meeting, you had that like experience where you went for this one reason for someone else, and then sitting there listening to people, you kind of had this realization like oh my gosh this is for me and I think like I kind of had that similar experience where like you know I quit for a while before I ever walked into a room and a friend of mine is the one that brought me into a room he'd ask me a couple times in my mind it was that kind of like you know I don't drink I don't need AA blah 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 like whatever and then I just went just to kind of like because my friend kept asking me or whatever. And, you know, I blamed all my problems on like anxiety and depression and everything like that. But then sitting in that room and listening to everyone share and relating to them and stuff, I realized like that these people have gone through the same stuff that I'm going through and they like seem to be happy functioning adults. So maybe there's something here. And that's where like I decided, you know what, like, I can't keep living the way that I'm living. I can't keep feeling the way that I'm feeling. So I better give this a try. And that was like, yeah, it's like the worst feeling in the world. You know, when you know that the booze is really not working at all. And then you go to an AA meeting to feel better and you feel crappy and you see everybody's happy, shaking hands, laughing. You're like, Whoa, I don't feel like them. And I don't know how they got that. Yeah. Right. It's a real weird, real weird place yeah. to be, you know, but it's temporary. Yeah. But I think it was a good catalyst for keep me to come around, you know, because like because of that, I like started coming every day and then I decided to give it a fair shot and, you know, working the steps and getting a sponsor and doing all of that stuff like, you know, it helped like who I am today is not the same person I was when I walked in two years ago, which to me is a miracle. Sure. Um, then you also mentioned like 
how you relapse, you stop going to meetings for three weeks and, and whatever. And that seems to be a very common story. Like people that I know, people that are around before I was and stuff, when they talk about how they've had a little bit of time and then all of a sudden relapse or whatever, you know, I've heard it said mm-hmm. before, like uh, they like start walking the steps backwards and, you know, yeah. like they stop doing service work. They stop speaking at meetings. They stop going to meetings. And next thing they know, they're drunk or doing a drug or whatever. Yeah, they have nobody to identify with. Yeah, and then um, one thing that my sponsor tells me is that, like, you know, you get sober, you do the things, and they get sober, and you start to feel better. And now just because you feel better, don't get content. Continue to do what you did to get there, and you'll continue to have it. The moment you stop, you're going backwards. And that's one thing. It's all about our participation. And that's one thing is, like, for me personally, I haven't stopped. I continue to go to the same meetings that I went to and continue to do that. And in that, I just keep getting better. Like I can be content. It's like, okay, I'm feel normal now. This is the best I can. But the more I do it, the more service work I do, the more I get outside of myself, it just keeps getting better. You know, like the the phrase that comes to mind with this is uh, these guys used to tell me years ago, I hear it a lot more back then was like, um, like, especially with people who, who came, got better and then left and then drank again, they would say that they were doing what got good instead of doing what got you good. Yeah. You know, cause life becomes full and you know, we have all these new responsibilities and if we don't remember that AA has got to be the primary responsibility that everything else is going to fail from there. Yeah. You know, this is the discipline of like going every day, remembering to invite the higher power and remember that it's it's you and the higher power together we create this thing called this sobriety yeah. you know and without it you know because i'm powerless without it without the relationship with the higher power i cannot get rid of the the obsession to drink a drug not on my own at least, yeah you know? and that's like the foundation that you started out with talking about like absolutely mm-hmm. but again thanks for uh, sharing your story and discussing this with us yeah, yeah man no problem i'm sure james would like to say something yeah, thanks for not taking too much time, Dennis. Appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> Brian, always a, always good to hear from you. Um, yeah. You know, I moved to Celebration a little over two years ago. Um, I was coming from a place I, I had a month sobriety, and I had a sponsor down there who told me, "Yeah, if you're moving three and a half hours away, you need to get a new sponsor, and you need to to work these steps." Right. And um, at that point, I had already um, had a spiritual experience and, you know, there was no God issues in my life. He was real and he brought me back to AA and uh, mm-hmm. I tried to, you know, tell you that in the first time. Um, I, I remember hearing you from one of the first meetings I went to and I remember just being like, just like, whoa, like the way you, you spoke and the way your mind worked, it was so articulate it just made sense. I, was like, I had never heard anyone talk to you before. Um, yeah, I'm really good at regurgitating other people's oh, really yeah, good yeah. ideas. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, I didn't uh, think anything of it. I was like, you know, I, I knew I had to get a sponsor. Um, and then I went to uh, the West Side Club and um, I was talking to uh, William. You might know William. And um, oh, he, yeah. Um, yeah, lovely. he asked me if I had a sponsor yet. I was like, no. He's like, you know who you need to get? I was like, who? He's like, Brian. I was like, Brian. He's like, yeah, the professor, Professor Brian. I was like, okay. 
Oh, yeah, God. They used to call me that years ago. Thank God they don't do that. <laughs> some, some people still do behind your back. <laughs> was... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, know, I know. I know. And um, I think, you know, that was it was just perfect because I, I didn't know. I was like, so at that point, I was like listening, like just follow people's suggestions. I was like, sure. I think I asked you the next day in the parking lot. But it was kind of funny. What's your name? <laughs> Brian. What's your last name? <laughs> I, yeah, James, I very much remember that. Was, that. Uh, that was very I didn't even remember that very until you told me. And then, um, you know, I just yeah. – And I got a little – few doses of your um, <clears throat> uh, New York AA. Like, I remember you told me, mm-hmm. you know, James, if I had to bet against you, I probably would at this point. And I was like, what? Right, Why right, would you right. say that? And, uh, you know, because I'm an alcoholic. I didn't do what you told me. But um, by the grace of God, I, I stayed well, sober. I remember you told me to stay, um, stay quiet the first month. Don't say anything. Um, yeah. And then you told me I got to. Well, you know, you were coming on pretty strong. <laughs> <laughs> and then you. So sometimes just sitting there quietly can be can be humil- uh, you know, cumbling. Yeah. You know. Um, yeah, I remember James having to tell you that I'm gonna I'm betting everything I got against you, and that um. <laughs> You know, and I, I, was, I remember having to say, like, look, you change your output and I'll change the feedback, you know. And you're not the only one, James. I've said that to a bunch of people. And you know why? These guys said this to me, too, man. You know, it wasn't it's not, not, not like some one hit wonder, dude. I came in here and fumbled all over myself for a long time. <laughs> but at least it felt like, you know, I remember I was coming to that three o'clock meeting for a while. And that guy, Bill, and I love this guy so much. You know, he, he just he comes in. He looks at me after like a month and a half of me coming. He's like. Dude, you're still coming here? And I was like, yeah, I'm still coming here. And he goes, Brian, we've been betting against you for months. I'm like, oh, Bill, I'm going to freaking kill you, man. I'm so pissed, man. That's so good. But, I mean, you know, I was just, I was just sitting there. I wasn't doing the work, really. So, like, what else? You know, they expect you to fail. But both of them, you know, I still do too. Yeah. You know, there's only one thing that works. You know, everything else is not going to work. Only one thing works. That we know of, at least, you know. And you were you were great in uh, you're like you know I'm not doing this for you. I'm I'm just along to guide you. You were like you're like this is your work. You didn't. I mean, you gave me yeah. deadlines and stuff, and you may would you would help me to keep my word. Like if you're gonna set this goal, you know, meet it. Otherwise, you're wasting my time. But you were you were always kind about right. it. And uh, well, I I try and let people know that look, man, you know, like nobody here is going to do the work for you and nobody can do the work for you. We just promise that you won't have to do it by yourself. Yeah. And for those of us who've been coming here a while and been doing this a little while, we, we found that that's enough to just not have to be alone while you're doing it, you know, because it's like the worst feeling in the world is feeling that like nobody's got your back and nobody understands you, you know, and many of us felt like that for so long. That's why we come in here, you know, uh, terminally unique, you know, yeah. Um, and I'll, I'll finish with um, the the prayers. You know, I every morning, every time I, I go into work, um, same with you. I just I just pray to be, you know, a bright shining beacon of light. Uh, just flow through me, God, and just to be of maximum service to everyone. Mm-hmm. And then I see the moments, you know, while I'm working, where oh, it's coming up. Wait, do I help this person or do I walk the other way? Mm-hmm. I don't really yeah. like this person, but. I just pray for it. So, you know, there's a yeah. lot of characters in, in my job. And I, I yeah. <laughs> but, and you know, what helps is I, 
I, I adopted that little um that little mark you put on your your pointer finger, your right pointer finger. Yeah. So yeah. every time I look yeah. at that little black spot, I remember I remember to be to be gracious and to be grateful. Right. And you, you know what I learned? I, I learned this, you know, really like a couple of years ago. I don't know, five years ago or something, whenever it was, you know, which was that I really had this demonstrated in my relationship with my wife, which was, and then with others. Sometimes in life, I have to go first. You know, sometimes I have to be the one to lead and say, look, we're going to have a peaceful experience right now. And it's because I am the one who is dictating the pace of that. And that's sort of like the miracle coming through me. I feel like a lot of times where, you know, like forget whatever hell is going on right now or what could be based on the past through that we've had in our relationship. And you, know, you, see, you work with a lot of characters and like, Hey, I just prayed to be of service to those around me and, you know, maximum service. And so now here comes that opportunity. And based on our previous experiences, I'm going to have to be the one to go first right now. Yeah. You know, I'm not going to be the one that's going to lead with love and lead with peace. And they may, you may have to do that more than once, you know, especially in like in restaurants can be hectic environments and they could be on drugs and all kinds. I've worked in restaurants for years. You know, there is a lot of characters there, but you know, especially with challenged relationships, parents, siblings, you know, spouses and stuff, you know, at least in my relationship with my wife, I have had to lead numerous hundreds and hundreds of times. Like right now we are going to have a peaceful experience and it's because I am not buying into your bullshit right now. I'm not going to co-sign whatever, wherever you think this is going, you know, but that's only because, you know, I have the freedom to change my behavior like this. You know, I have the freedom to go, to that, that peaceful place, you know, led by the relationship with the higher power and, you know, and, and prayer. And, uh, you know, this is where, this is who I want to be today. And the discipline is deep in, in a lot of ways after a while of just doing it over and over again. Yeah. You know, because for me, I'm just not willing to accept like a lower standard of living on most days, at least, you know, uh, and sometimes that's uh, harder than others, but it's through the years of, you know, I've gotten a decent batting average, I think lately. You know, like a making it to midnight kind of a situation, you know. But, yeah, for sure. Awesome. Anyway. awesome. Well, I appreciate thank you, it, Brian. Brian. Uh, thank you for sharing your story with us. We'll be back next Thursday with a special guest sharing their experience, strength, and hope with us on episode nine. With the defective characters entirely ready to have all these character defects removed. Remember, want to have self-esteem? Just do esteemable things. We'll see you next time. Thanks for making the Perfect. coffee, Dennis. It's delicious. Yeah. What is this? French vanilla? <laughs> <laughs> I used two instead of one. <laughs>